Good morning, fellow students, and welcome back to another episode of Legacy Weapon, your guide to legacy format. I am Jamie, and Drew is not here. So, it is just me, Jamie, here today, interviewing our interview guest of the day. We did not want to have to do a show without Drew, but we wanted to get this show out before the Grand Prix that is this weekend. If it's edited poorly, that's why we're getting out fast. We're doing what we can. We have on the line Andrew Rudiger. Welcome. Hi, Jamie. You, so, you traded one Drew for a different one, but please I, don't call me Drew. No, no. I, I wanted <laughs> I wanted to have a confluence of Drews, uh, and, and I was going to, I don't know, it, it really, one Drew and one Andrew, I think that's like antimatter. I think one of you would have evaporated. Uh, I think that... you can. I think it's fine. We have we have different names, so the legend rule doesn't apply. Oh, okay. Uh, he's an Andrew. Okay. Uh, he's a Drew, and I'm an Andrew. You could also have an Andy. That'd be fine. You could okay. get a. You could get our Twitter friend Andy on I, here too. Well, I I have I feel like your planeswalker name would be the same, but we're gonna say that you're like the planeswalker. No, that's Karn. that's always your last name, right? No, no, no. It's always your first name. Crap. Yeah. You, no, you're the Karn planeswalker, and he's the creature. So that's why oh, okay. I, I can good. get both. Anyway, I'm glad I get to be the good one. Yes. All right. Well, he's not here. He gets to be the bad one for everything when he's not here <laughs> and when he's here, but even more so now. So tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into Grand Prix excitement. Uh, I am a level two judge from the East Coast. I'm from Virginia Beach, Virginia. Um, I mostly judge. I, I play some, but I do not actually play Legacy, largely because of the uh, the time uh, I, I don't have time to play much of anything, and there isn't a ton of legacy in my area, so putting together a deck is a little challenging. Uh, but uh, I do a lot of comp rail judging. I basically got into judging to run PPTQs, um, but I go to GPs, uh, mostly limited, occasionally modern, uh, with my wife, who also plays. Uh, we are at No Strange Names and at BioVisionary on Twitter. If anyone knows me, it's probably from Twitter. Or from my uh, magic podcast about parenting, which is uh, Magic the Parenting, with um, Aaron Adams, uh, and we just talk about magic parent stuff. So I have a I have a two year old son named Jace, who can already identify basic lands, uh, and Emrakul, and Liliana, and a couple other things. Uh, but yeah, I'm here mostly to talk about uh, comprel issues going to your first GP. Um, I will do my best uh, to use legacy relevant examples, but I'm going to lean on you to a degree on that. Like I've, I certainly watch a fair amount of legacy, but I, I don't play it or, and there's no events around here to judge. So, well, and, and unfortunately you won't get to watch it this weekend because it's not being aired or televised or anything, which is a real shame. The last time they had one aired, my wife who plays a little bit, but mostly to humor me, but a little bit, she was watching with me and she said it was more interesting than any magic she'd ever seen. So Come on, Wizards, you can do it. You can hook in the new people with 20-year-old cards. You can do it. I have faith in you. Yeah. Uh, uh, I, and you are making me feel like I'm very behind the ball. Uh, my two-year-old can't really get correct which card is what color. So, eh. Oh, right. oh she, colors colors well, are colors are easy. I, she she I was, knows um, her colors, but she, she picks out what colors are in the pictures. Yeah, so, I, I have that problem a fair amount, uh, particularly with swamps. They tend to have, mm-hmm. like, other things going on and so jace will be like it's purple i'm like no it is purple but you want to say black yeah and 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 black and white are colors but those aren't the colors they ever focus on they're kind of taught to look for more vibrant colors which i mean i'm color yeah he says yellow for pretty much every planes so anyway but we're we're getting there it's the sun it's yellow It's, it's sort of like yellow it's white is a kind of yellow uh, I don't know if I agree with that. Moving on. Just... Moving right along. <laughs> now, we I wanted to have you on the show in particular because, well, one, because I know you and you're a great guy and you do podcasts and everything else. But two, I wanted to talk about, as you said, uh, going to a Grand Prix. Uh, I wanted you in particular, you're a level two judge, which tell us what it means to be a level two judge as opposed to just a general judge. Presumably all of our audience has been to at least an FNM, but many of them haven't been to a competitive rules enforcement event or not many. And that's what we want to address here is, is what to expect when you're there. So what's a level two judge in the first place? Okay. So, um, the magic judging program was recently revamped. Uh, there used to be five levels of judges, but now there are only three, um, a level. So events can be run without a judge at all. Um, particularly F and M and, uh, without I should say without a certified judge, uh, because anyone can judge a casual or regular rules level event, uh, store employees, people who know what they're doing, whoever wants to run it, 
uh, can do that. Uh, and they would be the judge, but they would be a level zero judge. They're not certified. Uh, a level one judge is someone who has taken the time to learn the rules, taken a test, found a level two judge to make them a level one, passed the test, judged a few things, and gotten their certification. It It's relatively quick. Um, you can do it um, as fast as the level two will allow you and as fast as you can learn all the information. Uh, a level two judge um, is a competitive rules judge. So uh, in order to run a PPTQ, um, you need to have a level two judge as head judge. Um, we know about uh, the IPG, which is the infraction and procedure infraction procedure guide. We know about the MTR, which is the magic tournament rules. And we know the comp rules, um, the comprehensive rules. Uh, so whereas a level one judge can help you with the different interactions and explain the basics of, of magic rules to you. Um, and in fact, many of them know a great deal more than that. Um, a level two judge has gone through some additional testing and interviewing with uh, a level three judge to determine that they can uh, run a competitive event. So the biggest difference between what you're, you're used to at uh, FNM or uh, normal magic nights uh, is Competitive is about getting things right and being fair, whereas um, regular rules enforcement. So the, the there's a one page document that covers how to fix things at regular. And the basics of it is don't let them do anything that is super, super bad, like uh, gambling, cheating, things that could get into actual legal trouble. Uh, fix whatever and tell them not to do it again and move along. Um so the goal of regular is to have fun. The goal of competitive is to have a fair game. So everyone needs to know what the outcome is going to be. And you need to catch cheating. But more often than catching cheating, you need to correct mistakes in a way that is fair. Okay. So to use an example, then trying to figure out about, um, uh, you know, m making things kind of work the way that the players thought they would versus making them work in a consistent way that the rules say they ought to work. Uh, one example that I think is a good one is Mutavolt. It, it's one of the lands that turns into a creature. If you were to say, okay, uh, go to combat, I attack with these guys, and I make Mutavolt a person. Yes. In FNM, if you, if you have the player called a judge, the judge would probably come over and say, you meant to activate it before you attacked, right? Yes. Okay. Try to say it more clearly next time. And at competitive, you'd say, you already are attacking. You can't activate that anymore. It's too late. Try better next time. Is that is that is that correct? That is correct. Okay. Um, uh, at regular, because there's um, less guidance, I think some judges might actually tell you too late just so that you learn the rule. But mm -hmm. it, it would basically be up to them to figure out what the best thing to do is. Uh, I would certainly let you activate Mutabolt, but I would explain to you that you really want to do that during your beginning of combat step and that your opponent will have an opportunity to act before it can attack. Um, so that's one of the biggest things that does come up at, at competitive is understanding uh, steps and phases of the turn um, making sure that everything is done in the proper order. And yeah, there are small technicalities like animating Mutavolt that it needs to be. The first thing that happens in the declare attacker step is that you declare attackers. If you have declared an attacker, it is too late to make something an attacker. Okay. So forgiveness is asked for any listeners who know some of this stuff. This might be more basic for some of you, but it's really important and we want to make sure that anybody who's who's never been to a GP, because they only go to legacy GPs, of course, because they're the only ones worth going to, and they just haven't been playing for more than three years. So this is the first one they get to go to. They want to know what to expect. Uh, just walk us through, just as a baseline, really quick, the, the steps and phases, because uh, I, I think most of us know it, but most of us don't really interact with it or know it that well. Okay, this is going to be longer than you expect, but I'm going to do my best to do it quickly. Okay. Um, your untap step, you untap all your permanents unless you have a reason not to. Um, you can't do anything else in your untap step. No player gets priority, so you cannot act. Um, for that reason, if there are any triggers that happen during your untap step, they will wait and they will go on the stack during your upkeep step. Um, uh, pardon me, I'm going to say step and phase wrong sometimes. 
times because I'm doing this on the fly. Um, but that is all right. so there, there is a difference. There are, there are phases and there are steps and the beginning phase includes the untap, the upkeep and the draw step. Um, but anyway, so, uh, up, upkeep, nothing naturally happens during your upkeep, but there's plenty of things that do, uh, pay for your packs. Um, <laughs> the most yeah, important good thing, thing to do, uh, during your upkeep is so uh, packs are actually one of the most important things to bring up here. Um, if you uh, draw a card, you're in your draw step. You're no longer in your upkeep. And so any triggers that you were supposed to announce or acknowledge or any actions you were supposed to take in your upkeep are now missed. Um, so one of the things you can do to avoid that is put a small object on top of your deck if you need to remember to do something during your upkeep. Do not obscure the top of your deck. Do not put a card on top of it. Uh, but you are allowed to put a die on it. I've seen someone put a transparent hamster ball on top of it, and that is legal. Um, so, you will be literally unable to draw a card without removing that. Um, so uh, th the reason for that is if you have an effect um, that says on your upkeep do X, and it is your trigger, and it is beneficial to you, um, you will miss it if you draw a card, and it does not get to happen. And your that, opponent that, may that doesn't matter whether it... Oh, sorry. I, I was going to say, just ahead. to clarify it, it doesn't matter whether it's a you may gain a life during your upkeep or if it just says you gain a life during your upkeep. If you draw it, a card, you've skipped it, even if it's a quote-unquote mandatory. Is that right? The rules implications are slightly different. Uh, okay. If you have a trigger that says you may gain one life and you draw a card, you have not committed a rules infraction. You have chosen the default, which is no. The default on any action, if you skip it, is to say no. That is why uh, packs cause you to lose the game. Because they say, pay this mana or lose the game. And if you chose not to pay the mana, you must have chosen to lose the game. Uh, so while that is not something that I think anyone would actually choose, that is what the rules default to. Uh, so if it's a may, uh, or if there's any choice involved, you'll be deemed to have made the default choice. But you will not have broken the rules. Okay. If you have a trigger that says, gain one life, and you do not acknowledge the trigger and gain a life, you have committed an infraction because you did not have a choice. You were required to do that. Um, so it, it, but because it's a trigger, there's different situations for uh, beneficial and, um, and detrimental triggers. So missing beneficial triggers is not generally a penalty, but missing detrimental triggers is, I think the reason is fairly obvious, but if you, if you miss a detrimental trigger, um, you will get a warning. Um, and we've gotten a little bit off off track. I'll get into what warnings sorry, are. And sorry, how go, go ahead. Later, but yeah. So the biggest thing on upkeep is upkeep triggers. You can put an object on your library to remind you. Okay. Uh, and, and actually, one one more thing, because this does come up. If you've got a spell where you want to kill your opponent's creature, and you think they might have a counter spell, and your kill spell is instant, sometimes the best time to do it is during their upkeep, because correct. if they counter your spell, they've had to use the mana for their turn. And you want to do it before they draw a card because they're less likely to draw a counterspell. What if this happens? What if you're, you say, pass the turn. Your opponent untaps and draws a card. And you say, wait, 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 I wanted to do something during your upkeep. What happens then, Judge? Besides me raising my hand and yelling the word Judge as loud as I can. So you need to do your best to let your opponent know that you wish to act in their upkeep. Um, mm -hmm. And it is tough. It is very tough to do that without giving away information. Um, because you don't want to tell them during your end step when they could do something else. Uh, your best course of action is to say as quickly as possible as they are untapping, uh, wait, I have an action, I need to take an action in your upkeep. Um, but if they've already drawn the card, as long as you did your best to try uh, to, to act during their upkeep, uh, you will likely be able to act in their upkeep. So this is one of the... Um, the situations with priority. Um, we pass back and forth priority during games of magic without acknowledging it a lot. Uh, and when you want to have priority in a step that you wouldn't normally um, do anything, uh, you have to do your best to let your opponent know. But if they push you past that step by taking actions that you couldn't stop them from taking, uh, you'll be allowed to go back and act in that step. Uh, ideally, you'll be able to tell them that before they put the card that they drew in their hand, because then it gets very difficult uh, 
for the judge to determine which card they can't use. Um, so do your best. This is one of those situations that's a little awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's that's what you will do. And if Sorry. there is a dispute, you will, the correct thing is to raise your hand, yell for a judge. There will likely be a dispute about when exactly you said what. Uh, and the mm-hmm. judge will do their best to tell you what you need to do. But yes, if you want to act in someone's upkeep, the best thing to do um, is it will be your turn. Uh, if you want to be extra safe, you can just say, I, I may have effects in your upkeep. Um, you could tell them that at the beginning of the game, if you wanted to be like extremely safe. You could just say, please, before you draw a card each turn, uh, give me a moment. I may have effects in your upkeep. Um and then they should do that. And if you told them that at the beginning of the game, you're much more likely uh, to receive a favorable ruling in the judge dispute later if they draw a card too quickly. And that, that's um, a really good thing to know. Or I mean, you can even do it when they play a creature that you now might, if you have something in your hand, want to kill. Part of the problem is, is you, in theory, might want to do something in their upkeep after, they, after they've passed priority. I guess that wouldn't really matter then. But yeah, you, you can do that and just don't be obnoxious about it. But that's an important thing where you can hold whatever priority you want as long as you're really clear about it, right? Correct. Like okay. you you are entitled to priority in almost every step. Uh, you don't get it in untap and you don't get it in cleanup unless there's a reason to. Um, but uh, in, in general, if you want priority in any step, you can request it. The one thing that you can't do is request priority and then do nothing with it. Now I, I'm going to actually stop asking questions right now because we're gonna we're gonna run over time if I don't. But you go ahead and just keep running through as quick as you reasonably can the steps of the turn, and and then I have a couple other things I want to talk about. And hopefully we'll have time. So you you go ahead and I will I'll zip it for a minute. Okay, uh, draw. Um, the first thing you do on a draw step is draw your card. Once you have drawn your card, you are in the draw step. Like I said, you missed anything in upkeep at that point. Um, you can players can act during your draw step. The most common thing that people do during your draw step is cast Vendillion Click. Um, that's basically it for drawing. Um, there can be triggers in the draw step from drawing cards. They will resolve in the draw step. Uh, then you go into your first main phase, your pre-combat main phase. Uh, you, everyone who plays Magic knows how a main phase works. You can play one land per turn. You can cast sorcery speed effects creatures. Uh, the important thing about uh, your main phase is the transition out of it. Uh, it can be somewhat awkward. Most people tend to just say combat. Uh, That is unfortunately a tournament shortcut that means I am passing priority until beginning, until the attack step, Uh, which if if it's your turn, you're saying, I'm going to go immediately to declaring attackers. Uh, So what you want to do if you want to have any actions during the beginning of combat, uh, like animating your mutable, as we discussed, is uh, I would like to end my main phase and go to the beginning of combat. Like you have to be very explicit about it. Uh, you can have a discussion once again about your about that with your opponent before you begin the game if you think it's going to be an issue. It's not as much an issue in constructed formats as it is in limited, where there's more um, going on, especially in the current limited format with uh, animating vehicles. Um, but uh, as with all shortcuts, it's something you can discuss with your opponent and come to an agreement with before the game if you think it's going to be a problem. Uh, beginning of combat step is the first step of the combat phase. Uh, this is where you need to make anything you want to attack with into a valid attacker. If a creature needs to activate something to lose defender, to gain haste, or to become a creature, you need to activate it now. Um, this is also, uh, as the defending player, the time when you need to tap uh, attackers. So if you are going to use cryptic command to tap all creatures, uh, you need to do it now before they can be declared as attackers. Uh, declare attackers. The first thing that happens is attackers are declared. They're declared all at once. People may, in fact, tap them one at a time, but once you are tapping creatures and saying that they are attackers, you are in the declare attackers phase. You cannot do anything before declaring them in that phase, so it's too late to animate. Declare blockers. Uh, this is exactly... Oh, so... I'm oh, sorry. Declare attackers. This is the point where, as the attacker, you have the last chance to tap any blockers. So if you're, for some reason, using Cryptic Command aggressively, this is your time to cast it using the tap all creatures mode, uh, because otherwise they will be untapped when they are declared as blockers. Because, like declare attackers, the first thing that happens in declare blockers is blockers are declared. There's nothing you can do beforehand. So, once again, with animating creatures, making them into stuff, uh, you need to do that during declare attackers if you are the defending player. That's your last chance to animate Mutavolt as a blocker. 
uh, declare blockers, same as declare attackers, but with declare blockers. Uh, then there is there are sub steps for first strike damage, but other than that, there's combat damage. Then there's an end of combat step. Uh, it's pretty rare uh, that this matters, um, but there is actually a card that's showing up in modern. I don't know that it's probably not ever going to be played in Legacy, but um, Blessed Alliance. Uh, and other effects like this that cause players to sacrifice attacking creatures. Um, creatures are still attacking and blocking uh, until combat is over. And so in the end of combat step, all the creatures that were going to die in combat have already died during combat damage. And so if you wanted to kill a particular creature with a sacrifice attacking creature effect, you could block and kill all the other attackers Um and then make them sacrifice the last one by casting that in end of combat. That's like one of the very few rules tricks that can come up with that. Uh, second main, uh, it's the same as the first main, except it's the second one. Uh, and then there is the end step. Uh, end step is where some things trigger. Uh, it's your last chance to act before your untap, if you want to use your mana um, on your opponent's turn. Uh, and there is one thing after that, which is cleanup. Clean up, the cleanup step is where uh, you discard down to seven cards. Uh, the only time anything happens there is if the discard causes a trigger. Um, but that's a real edge case. Uh, so those are your steps. Um, be careful with them. Be aware of where you are if you're ever uncertain as to when something is happening. It can be very unclear when people are in their main phase uh, or you're just not communicating particularly well when someone is casting something. So it's always fair when someone says, I'm casting this, to be like, okay, what what phase do you think we're in? Uh, because they may or, they may have control over that. They may be able to say, well, I th I'm, I'm intending to do this during this phase, but it may be too late because of something that's happened, like drawing a card or declaring an attacker. Uh, and the biggest thing for all of the other things I'm going to say is if you and your opponent ever disagree about anything and you don't immediately resolve it uh, to your satisfaction, uh, call a judge. Um, there is no shame in calling a judge. It is not an insult to your opponent. It is not wasting anyone's time. No matter how stupid you think your question is, the whole reason judges are there are to resolve these things. So please, rather than taking your opponent's word for it, rather than uh, just saying, oh, I'm not going to worry about it, and then feeling bad about it later, just raise your hand and say loudly and clearly, judge, and leave your hand up until someone shows up, uh, okay. and they will fix it. And at a Grand Prix or something, there's going to be lots of judges walking around, so you don't have to feel like you're holding up the head judge for the whole event or anything. Please no, do it. That's what, that's what they're there hundreds. for. Hundreds. Yeah. Like, wow. And they're, and they're all there for me, is what you're really yeah. saying. Not literally. I suppose there aren't literally hundreds of floor judges, but there are usually over 100 judging and administrative staff for a GP of any size. So There are dozens of lot. us. Dozens of us. Uh, oh, rest of development. Okay, well, that that's really good. And that, you talk about the end step. I, I wanted to, this kind of moves into the next step of uh, things your opponents might do um, that are referred to sometimes as rules lawyering or sometimes as angle shooting. And, yep. and I, I want to keep this part of the conversation relatively brief, but I want to tell people what that is and tell people how to protect themselves from it. So can, can you talk about that really quick? Because I want to come back to the end of turn step, but I think it will be helpful if you say that first. So the biggest thing that comes up here um, with like angle shooting and rules lowering, it's hard to give a perfect example of every way this can come up. And um, the judges behind the rules have done a pretty good job of removing a lot of the old tricks from this. Um, for instance, it used to be the case that you could bait your opponent into doing things by trying to get them to say certain magic words that meant certain things. Um, and that's been reduced as much as possible. Um, but one of the things that uh, Jamie has brought up before and that I've discussed is triggers. Um, so trigger policy is very complicated. I will say that first and foremost. I may misspeak exactly about how a particular situation would be resolved because Exactly how trigger policy works is something that's changed a lot, uh, and that even the highest level judges, back when there were higher levels than three, uh, there was haziness about it. But the important things to remember are that 
you are responsible for your triggers. That means triggers that are generated by permanence you control. Your opponent is responsible for their triggers. You are not required to remind your opponent of their triggers. And that sits the wrong way with people sometimes because some triggers are not optional. They just say, here is a thing that happens. Uh, one of the most famous examples recently is with the card Rest in Peace. Uh, when Rest in Peace comes into play, you exile graveyards. And it's not you may, it's not you do something, it just happens. It's the rule. Uh, but it's a trigger, and it is attached to a permanent that one player controls. That player is responsible for making sure that that trigger is resolved. And resolving that trigger means exiling the graveyards. Uh, interestingly, another thing on Rest in Peace is a replacement effect, which works differently than a trigger. And this can be very confusing to people. So a trigger is something that says when, whenever, uh, at. If it specifies a point in time that the trigger happens. A replacement uh, effect um, usually says if. Um, so if you look at the card Rest in Peace, uh, which I'm going to actually pull up the exact text of because it's going to matter. It says, when Rest in Peace enters the battlefield. So when Rest in Peace enters the battlefield is the trigger clause. It says exile all cards from all graveyards. That's a trigger. Mm -hmm. The second line of text is, if a card or token would be put into a graveyard from anywhere, exile it instead. So that is not a trigger. Um, if you were playing on Magic Online, that would not pop up and go on the stack every time a card would go into a graveyard. It's a replacement effect. It says, normally the rules say one thing should happen and instead another thing is going to happen. It's that not something you respond to. It's not something that you're... It's just something that happens differently instead. It's just changed one of the rules of the game, right? Correct. It is a okay. new game rule, basically. Uh, and the only time anyone interacts with it anyway is when there are multiple competing replacement effects. But in this case, there's just the one. It says, if you would put a card in a graveyard from anywhere, you exile it instead. Uh, so if I cast rest in peace and I fail to exile, to exile all the cards from all the graveyards, um, I've missed my trigger and it just doesn't happen. Uh, unless you want it to, you, the opponent can say, uh, actually, I want that to happen. Go ahead and do it. But otherwise, if I've moved on beyond, uh, uh, the step we were in with rest, if I've done something else, essentially, if I've. So if I cast Rest in Peace and then I cast and resolve a sorcery, it's too late. If I cast an instant, theoretically, I could be casting in response to the trigger. Um, but if I do something that uh, I couldn't do without the Rest in Peace trigger having resolved, I've missed it. However, if it's already in play and you take a card and you put it in your graveyard, you have committed a game rule violation. It's not it's no longer a trigger it's a replacement effect and you're responsible for obeying that rule and putting it in the right place so you have to know all the rules even the rules that are being made by specific cards on either side of the field but you don't have to remember each time a card would light up and say i make something happen now pretty much right Correct. okay you Correct. only have to remember yours and you can remember theirs if you want to you can do it if you want to remind them because it's good for you or because you just want to or something. You can, but you don't have to. So if you, if you were to play Rest in Peace and I say, okay, and then you say pass turn, my graveyard didn't get exiled. Yep, if you don't move it. So be sure that your opponent moves it. And obviously the, the recent controversy about this was about someone who moved it and moved it back. Like that is so many different problems, and it's about exactly what the judge saw and what happened. But right. – you can always just say, resolve this trigger, and then if you tell your opponent to do it and they don't, like, it's – that's – then they're breaking the rules. You've, you've told them to do it. You don't have to physically go and touch their cards, and in fact, you should not go and touch their cards. Um, if they refuse to do it or aren't doing it, then you call a judge. Um, but all, as long as you've acknowledged the trigger and told them what to do, then you, you've done it. Uh, so the, the other thing I wanted to talk about acknowledging triggers – is that some triggers are have a visible effect on the game state and some don't. Uh, so rest in peace moves cards. 
other triggers cause life total changes, which is considered visible. Uh, so if you change your life total, that's a visible effect on the game. You need to acknowledge that trigger right away. Other triggers are not. Prowess is a invisible trigger. Uh, it makes the creature bigger, but it doesn't put a counter on it. If it put a counter on it, that would be a visible trigger. If it put a token into play, that'd be a visible trigger. But prowess, as it stands, just increases power and toughness in an invisible way. Uh, the same thing with Exalted off of um, Noble Hierarch. Um, those are invisible. Uh, you do not have to say anything about them. You only need to acknowledge them when they have a visible effect on the game state. So, so only when, means, when it deals damage, you have to say the correct amount. amount. of damage, yep. Right. But you don't and have you, to Or you have to acknowledge that it doesn't die if it takes damage, if it, if it got more toughness. Mm -hmm. um, if, if, for instance, you had a creature that got pumped by Prowess and then it takes damage and then you put it in the graveyard thinking, because you actually forgot your prowess triggers, then you missed the prowess trigger. Uh, you, you failed to acknowledge it when it mattered. Um, but otherwise, you can attack with prowess creatures. Your opponents can block them thinking that they are not prowessed because they were not paying attention. Uh, and they, as long as you say, okay, it eats your creature, or okay, you take four instead of two or whatever, um, you have acknowledged a trigger and you've done it correctly. Uh, that is very tricky for people. Uh, you are allowed to ask uh, your opponent how many spells they've cast. Uh, like, have you have you cast non-creature spells? Can I see your graveyard? Um, there, uh, that runs into another issue that is deeper than a single podcast can cover, but it's about communication policy. Mm -hmm. uh, there's different types of information. Uh, there is public information, which is something everyone can and see like the contents of the battlefield the names of cards uh what's in graveyards uh there is derived information which is anything that requires math even the most basic of math so how many creatures do you have in play is technically derived information i can point at each of your cards and say is that a creature is that a creature is that a creature? And that's public information. But adding them up is derived information. The most hey, common hey, derived math, information. Math is really hard for me. We're not all we're not all math people. Okay, I'm, I'm yeah. f f philosophy guy over here. Math is math. Math's rough. Um, I went to law school because I was told there would be no math. Uh, <laughs> that's my that's like my tagline for being a lawyer. Um, but anyway, uh, so the the point there is that uh, public information your opponent has to tell you. Derived information, your opponent is not allowed to lie to you about, but they may refuse to answer. Um, they can just tell you, and eh, figure it out. And a judge will do the same thing. If you call a judge and ask them to derive information for you, they will not. Um, they should not. Uh, by rules, they, they are not supposed to do the math for you. Uh, the most common piece of derived information, by the way, is the power and toughness of Tarmogoyf. Um, at least in modern. Um, Counting's hard. Uh, and so types in graveyard, like mm -hmm. you, you can ask, what are the types in your graveyard? Like, do you have a, this, do you have a, that, let me see your graveyard. Um, but if you ask them, what's the power and toughness of your Tarmogoyf? Um, too bad. So sad. <laughs> yeah. And, and um, I, I say counting is hard. That one actually trips me up sometimes if I'm not paying it good attention to the game, just because it's two graveyards, they're both piles. I might forget. Sometimes I don't know which which cantrips are instants versus which are sorceries. Yep. It's it's sometimes the kind of thing. Sometimes you forget a land. Sometimes you forget that a creature is also an artifact. Mm -hmm. it, it can happen to everybody. And by everybody here, I mean me. It can happen to me. I can do that. So yeah. Um, have Have you lightning bolted a tarmogoyf, Jamie? I know you just play green, so you're probably not playing lightning bolts. But have you ever what? lightning bolted a tarmogoyf? Lightning bolt? I I don't know what this card is you're talking about. Is this is this is this like a really fast green creature? Yeah, it's, really it's fast. like that. It's, it's a green creature that immediately fights something. I love this card. We <laughs> need this card. It can be It can be a 3-1, enter the battlefield fight. It can even die at end of turn. I'm fine with this. Oh, gosh. I, we could make this really card. Creature. Okay, anyway. But, it, no, seriously. like that. That's one of the, the biggest, like, if you ask people of things that people screw up, it's, yeah, uh... I guess I should briefly explain state-based effects. Um, sure. State-based state effects are what actually kills creatures when they die to damage. So if you have a, a spell that says destroy target creature, uh, that spell puts the creature in the graveyard. If you have a spell that says deal three damage to target creature and that creature has three or less toughness, the spell didn't kill it. It put three damage on it. 
And then before anyone gets priority, state-based actions will check. Uh, one of the state-based actions uh, or state-based effects is uh, is whether creatures have more damage marked on them than their toughness or equal to their toughness. They go to the graveyard. So uh, actually one of my best judge friends has a shirt with a lightning bolt on it that says uh, damage doesn't kill creatures, state-based actions kill, kill, kill creatures. Um, and so the reason that's relevant to Tarmogoyf is that uh, lightning bolt is an instant. Instant is a type that could be in your graveyard. And if there isn't an instant in your graveyard and there is another type in there, uh, you very well could have just put the Tarmogoyf to four toughness and then put three damage on it. And so you didn't kill it. Because uh, the, the card is in the graveyard before the damage uh, would kill the creature. So, uh, g going back briefly and then moving on quickly, uh, I just want to talk about the, the kinds of things communication really is key. And that's both such a simple thing that's almost worthless to say, but it's such a broad thing that it covers almost every single problem that's going to come up, is, is how it seems to me. Is that yep. fair? So yeah. Communications is, is extremely important. Important. At, at the beginning of every uh, PPTQ that I do head judge announcements for, I always tell people that 90 plus percent of all problems in Magic are because people didn't communicate clearly. Mm -hmm. um, and that as long as it is almost always to your benefit to just explain what you are doing clearly and ask your opponent to do the same, and if they don't, to call a judge. Um, because playing fast and loose and saying, oh, we all get it, and taking shortcuts that both players don't clearly understand and agree upon is how you get into game states that are a real problem. Yeah. Um, One thing that I will say, both from a little bit of personal experience and a little bit of some that I've heard of, uh, is don't let the other player make you feel rushed. I don't know if you want to talk about slow play. I don't know if we have time. Ha, ha, ha. Slowness uh, joke. But um, don't let your opponent make you feel rushed. For me, that's the time I make the most mistakes, and that's the time I get in the most trouble with other people. I'm going to just say taking advantage of the rules in ways that I should have protected myself against. Um, one that happened to me was, and I can't think of a good analogy for this in, uh, in Legacy, but I had uh, something that triggered on their upkeep. Mm -hmm. And so when I said, okay, pass turn, they'd say, draw a card question mark they didn't say question mark but it was obvious in their tone of voice and i say oh yeah and then he draw a card and the upkeep that my card was supposed to have on his upkeep he had just skipped because he knew that if i agreed to let him draw the card i'm the one who committed the rules infraction by letting him by letting us skip my trigger so yeah. don't, i mean, I mean don't also also to be fair to be fair to your opponent mm-hmm uh, that is a very, very common thing to do, and it is not necessarily done to force you to miss your trigger. It's actually a polite way to let you acknowledge your trigger and to let you act on their upkeep. Sure. So very lots true. of people will say, draw a card, and they will get your acknowledgement before they draw it uh, so that they do not get accused of pushing the game along too fast or keeping you from acting or keeping you from acknowledging your trigger. Uh, that is actually a very good thing to do. Uh, I... Uh, even when you're drawing cards outside of your draw step, uh, I played um, uh, the Rally the Ancestors deck in previous standard, uh, where there were an enormous amount of triggers, some of which involved drawing cards. And I was playing in a competitive event, uh, and before I drew each one of my cards, I said, draw a card, um, and made sure that my opponent was acknowledging that I was going to do that uh, because... It was very easy to get miscounted and get the wrong number of cards and and do various things. And if I draw a card when I'm not supposed to, even if I had my opponent's permission, I've broken a rule. But at the very least, if I ask them, then we're both on the same page that I'm drawing a card as related to some trigger. Mm -hmm. um, and so it, it never hurts to stop before you do something that's going to be irrevocable, like drawing a card. Once you've seen a card, there's no unseeing the card. There's right. ways to fix it, and there are remedies, but uh, looking at a card is, is something that you can't go back from. But if I can tell you one thing to be extremely careful about, don't let a card touch the rest of your hand unless you're yes. sure it should be there. Because put your hand, then put your hand down it. first. Yeah, put we, your we, hand down. We talked about this very briefly with Sylvan Library, where it says you can do stuff, but you can only do stuff with cards you've already drawn this turn. Yep. As soon as a card touches the other cards in your hand, even if you only had one card in hand and were holding it upside down, as soon as it becomes part of your hand, 
the rules find it indistinguishable. Drawn it. You've drawn it. It's done, and you cannot pick out which ones were drawn this turn. I think even if ever? both players know. Yeah. Even if both players know, it's considered to be unknown. Uh, the rules treat it as drawing the card. Um, so uh, going kind of on the other end of the spectrum, but the same idea, just kind of show something that uh, I read about happening to somebody was he wanted he had something he was going to do on his opponent's end step and it was going to win in the game but he had to do it on his opponent's end step and the opponent said uh go to cleanup and the player who wanted to do something on the end step said okay end of turn i do this and the player who said it said that he said it as one sentence and he was saying i acknowledge what you're wanting to do and here's what i'm doing before the cleanup step the judge ruled that there was a long enough pause in his statement mm -hmm. yep. that he had acknowledged, okay, we are in the cleanup discard step. I agree that I don't want to do anything else this turn. Yep. And so that was... Okay is a very dangerous phrase. Just saying, okay, and it's a verbal tick, and I do it too. And it's, it's something that if you want to get very good uh, and very successful at magic, it's something you should train yourself not to say. Mm -hmm. um, so, don't say, okay, this because you will pause for different periods of time. The judge will not be next to you to hear you say it, and it will be up to you and your opponent to say, well, how long did they pause? Because those are two different results. If if I say, if you say, I want to move on from this turn, and I say, okay, but I want to do this, that's me saying, I acknowledge your request, but I'm, I, I'm objecting to it, and I'm doing something first. If I say, okay, I want to do something on your instep, then... Mm -hmm. You might as well have well. said that you want to do something in the attack phase at that point. Right, it's, it's just, too late. Come back it in time. doesn't matter. I, I'm yeah. making an illegal request after already accepting the, the pass. Uh, so it's tough. Pausing and, makes a difference. And, and a middle ground one that you are going to see at the GP if you go to the GP. And this is one that's just common. And it is sometimes more in the first end where it's a polite request and it's completely not even trying to trick anybody. And sometimes it's more on the second side where it's legal to do and you need to guard yourself against it because it's people trying to get an advantage by playing tight, uh, is Chalice of the Void. Chalice yes. of the Void doesn't say you can't play one mana spells if it's on one. It says if a one mana spell is cast, counter it. If I have a Chalice of the Void in play, that's my permanent. It's a trigger that happens when anybody casts a one mana spell. And I have to say aloud that it is, can't, that it is uh, countered. Now... Some players will play one-mana spells into a chalice because they want storm count, because it still counts as casting a card. Or because... Or they, they want to fill, fill their graveyard. Right. I, I've done it because I needed a instant in a graveyard to kill my opponent with Deathrite Shaman. I needed this to be countered. So I played my one-mana instant or something on purpose. And I even just said, I play this, it is countered. I voluntarily remembered for my opponent. That's fine, and there's good game reasons to do it. Some players will play into a chalice like a velociraptor poking at an electric fence in a different place every time just to see if their opponent's paying attention, just to see, are you going to forget? Because sure. if you forget, then I can sneak a spell through. Sure. I mean, the, sure. the point is that there are situations where it's a free roll. They have nothing else to do with their mana. They will never be able to cast the spell through your chalice, and so they're going to see if they can do it. Um Lots of times you are in a position where you're not going to win uh, unless you get away with something, and mm -hmm. that is a legal thing to get away with. So yep. I, uh, I, I won't advocate doing it or not doing it, but I will tell you it is something legal to do, uh, and uh, it is not breaking any rules. It is not an attempt to cheat. Uh, oh, and the, the other thing on the topic of cheating that I will bring up is there are a lot of things that are uh, sneaky or fast and loose or angle shooting cheating is a very specific thing and even if you think your opponent is cheating when you call a judge i would strongly recommend that you not use the word cheating um describe Correct. what happened it, cheating, it's cheating the judge is defined know. yeah cheating is defined by the rules don't tell the judge someone was cheating tell them what they did uh the judge will decide if they're cheating and yeah. it is only going to hurt you for you to be presumptuous or to put in your interpretation of actions rather than just I took this action, my opponent took this action, I did this. And and you can certainly say this is my understanding of where we were at. Like I thought this was going to happen, but you should never uh, assume what your opponent's intent was. Uh, it's just bad. It's bad manners in life, but it's it's a bad idea in tournaments. 
because uh, it just slows things down and makes things acrimonious when they don't need to be. Most people aren't cheating. Most people just screw up. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah, that, that's a really good point. And you know, it, I I will say, and this is all I'll say on, it, is that I don't like those kinds of play your spells into a chalice to see if it gets through kind of stuff. I generally don't do it myself, but the people who do it are doing what is legal to do. They are playing with the rules. I mean, I, I'm, I'm a lawyer. The rules are what they are. If you don't like the rules, become a level three judge and change the rules. They are what they are. And if you are taking advantage of them, good. I mean, when you win a game of magic, it's because you're taking advantage of the players with zero life lose the game state-based action rule. And I'm going to take advantage of that rule every time, I think. It's a good so, rule. It's a good rule. It's it's might even be my favorite rule. I don't know. I I I, I like attacking people to death. So, uh, all right. Well, is there anything else, um, kind of rules related? Anything else specific to legacy rules that you'd want to talk about? Um, uh, we, we've, just we've a gone a little things. long. So we have, uh, but I'm going to go over a couple quick things just about how to deal with judges, um, and when to call judges on yourself. Sure. Uh, so, like I said. If you are thinking about calling a judge, call a judge. Um, th- this will actually be easier for me to just tell a, a brief story. Um, I played in a GP. Uh, it was modern. Uh, I was playing Infect. Uh, in between game one and game two, uh, I was playing against a deck where I thought my sideboard dispels would be good. Uh, and so I looked into my sideboard, and I was like, all right, I'm going to get those dispels. And I looked in there, and I couldn't find my dispels. I'm like, oh, God, have I lost cards? So I start counting my sideboard, and I'm like, no, there's 15 cards here. Wait a minute. Okay, so now the dispels must be somewhere, like, they're in, does my deck have 60 cards? Okay, yes. Going through my deck, I found that I had dispels in there. I hadn't drawn them during game one. Um, but they had been in there. I had failed to de-sideboard. This was, like, round four or five. Um, and evidently, at the last game, I had left my dispels in. I hadn't de-sideboarded. Important tip, always de-sideboard before you leave the table. Because you will forget and you will have problems. Before you stand up, just put your get your sideboard back in order. Get your main deck back the way it should be. Uh, but I didn't do that. Um, and so I, I had actually, I played an illegal deck game one. Uh, there was no way my opponent would ever discover that because I didn't draw the dispels or cast them. It didn't matter as it happened, um, but it had happened. And so I said, hold on a second. I have a problem. I'm going to call a judge on myself. Now, I am I don't remember whether I was a level two judge at the time or not, but I was a judge and I knew that the result of this is no penalty. Um, It's too late. Um, I've discovered that I did something wrong, but we're not in the game. There's no evidence exactly that it happened because I've mixed up my deck and I've done all kinds of things. Nobody knows exactly what I played game one. Uh, And so there's no penalty. But because I didn't want to tell I didn't want to leave it. I didn't want to like maybe I don't know the rules right. Maybe they changed something. Maybe it is a penalty. So I called a judge, and I told my opponent why I was calling a judge. Uh, judge came over. They told me, no penalty. Uh, and I said, yeah, uh, that's what I thought, um, but I, I wanted to be sure. And my opponent was like, okay, thank you for calling a judge. And the judge walks away. And my opponent goes, I'm not sure that's right. Shouldn't you get a penalty? And I'm like, I don't think so, but you're welcome to appeal. That's the most Im- – so that's, that's another important thing. I called the judge because I didn't want there to be any doubt. My opponent had a doubt after talking to the judge. So they have a right to appeal. Um, you may appeal to the head judge uh, any ruling that you disagree with um, for any reason. Uh, it's really unlikely that they're going to get overruled, but judges make mistakes. Uh, I've probably said one or two or more wrong things during the course of this podcast. And when you've been working a long day, standing up, dealing with a million different rules questions, you're likely to mess something up. Uh, and so I told my opponent... Uh, go ahead, like, please appeal. Like, I don't want you to not appeal and then regret it later. Uh, so they called the judge back over. I hadn't actually noticed when the judge was standing there because I was like kind of like looking down. But the judge was actually wearing a red shirt. Uh, red, uh, black black shirt is your normal floor judge. Uh, red shirt is actually the head judge or a head judge designee, <laughs> more likely at a GP because uh, because if there's so many players and one person can't be answering all the appeals, they can designate certain people. So this actually was like a, an L3 head judge designee. Uh, and so he called him back over and he was like, no, I'm a head judge designee. My ruling is final. Uh, and that was fine. Um, but like that person was satisfied that they had 
gotten a ruling, they had taken their appeal, and they were done. And, like, they appreciated that we went through the steps and beat me, so it worked out fine. <laughs> but, uh, like, that's the lesson that I would have for anyone who's ever uncertain. Like, it's very intimidating to be at a big event. It's very intimidating to call a judge. Your opponent may not be the nicest person. They may be staring you down. They may be taking offense at things, but that is their problem. Uh, there is nothing wrong ever with calling a judge. Uh, there is nothing wrong with appealing. Uh, the biggest thing I would say is uh, if you want to appeal, the correct way to do that is say, I would like to appeal. You just, that's all you need to say is tell the judge, I'd like to appeal. Don't argue with them. Um, you won't win. You won't win with the judge if they've made the ruling. It, it won't help. Yeah, they've, they're not supposed to change it. They've, you've, they've made the ruling and you can appeal. That's your that's your remedy. Uh, don't raise your hand and then loudly yell appeal. Uh, <laughs> Because I've seen someone do that, uh, because appealing is something that doesn't come up very often, but I was actually judging a PPTQ, uh, and I had a, a level one floor judge that was working with me, and they gave a ruling uh, that the player disagreed with, and so as soon as they finished their ruling, the person threw up their hand and yelled appeal, and like my level one was very offended that they just like were very rude and yelled appeal in their face. Um, that is not the correct way to do that. So, so wait, when you're in court and you don't like what a judge says in, in a court of law, you don't just say, you're wrong, and you hold your hand up and just say, appeal, and then you stand there and wait for a yeah, boss, for a boss yeah. judge to show up? Yeah, you just wait for the appeals court to wander into your, your random <laughs> courtroom. But yeah, no, and, and, and as it happened, the player who appealed in that case was correct. Like, my, my level one was wrong. It was a weird interaction that they had gotten wrong, and I fixed it. Um, but... I also told them, like, don't do that because you there are uh, there are rules about being polite and those are strictly enforced. So in another circumstance where I didn't know that this person was unfamiliar with appealing and that they didn't really mean it, someone might have given them a warning for uh, for being rude to that judge by yelling at them. Yes. So you, know, you need to be honest with your opponent. Be honest and open with the judges and nice with the judges. If you want to know something about what's on the board state, you're right. They're not going to tell you what to do. Ask questions carefully, and you can ask questions away from the table. If you yes. don't want your opponent to know, because you're asking about a card in your hand, or you're asking about whether your opponent did something wrong, but maybe you're just uncomfortable telling the opponent that they did something wrong, maybe because you're not sure and you don't want to. That's okay. The trick that I've heard, and you can tell me if this is the thing judges like, is you call a judge over and you say, I have a question about a card in my hand. Can we step away from the table? Even if it's not about a card in your hand. You can just say, I'd like to ask a question away from the table. Okay. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to justify it. The judge will absolutely walk away from the table with you uh, and answer your question. Uh, The other thing to remember is uh, I suspect this uh, comes up in Legacy as much as it comes up in any other constructed format. Your, car, your opponent may be playing with cards that are not in English or are not in a language you can read or, or that have been altered in some manner such that you can't tell what they say or you're just mm-hmm. not familiar with the card. This is another thing that Chains comes of Mephistopheles. up a lot in... If someone plays Chains of Mephistopheles, call a judge, just get the ruling there in front of you. It, it's just... not as complicated as you think. but It's not, but there's so many words on the card, it, it's, hard, it's hard to read from the card. It's easy it is, if you're told what it is. It is hard to read from the card, and that is something to remember. You are always entitled to the oracle text of, of any card you want. It doesn't even have to be a card in play. You can just call a judge and say, I need the oracle text on this card I might draw or this card I'm worried that my opponent might have or whatever. You can just name a card. They'll give you the oracle text. Um, and the oracle text is the current rules wording of it. Uh, there are a lot of old cards in Legacy that have been eroded or that read confusingly or say things that aren't correct anymore. Uh, and if, so, if you have a card that has the card type of interrupt or mana source as the card type, it does not make Tarmogoyf bigger. Correct. Those are not valid card types anymore. Even if it's um, on the card. I, I, when I was a kid, I noticed this, that the card Gravedigger was like a skeleton from one set and a zombie from another set. And this was before Gatherer or the Internet. And I remember just being so mad or excited that they were a misprint. And I wasasn't sure which. It's and a I, zombie now, isn't it? I, I don't I don't even know. Pretty it, sure. As soon, I love once, that they got, card. once they got rid of Uncle Istvan as a creature type, I, I just got disappointed in them. He's just a human now, isn't he? Yeah, just a human. Just card just... types are actually, creature types are one of the things that I care about a lot. So one other thing, and, and you can tell me this also from the judge perspective, is to be careful how you ask questions of judges. If you have a spell that says, which a spell does, 
counter target spell if it is blue, and you're kind of unsure if a spell counts as blue or not for some reason. Maybe a bad hypothetical. I'm coming up with off the top of my head. If you ask the judge, can I cast this on that? The judge's response, I think, will be, you can if you want to. Yes, right? you, you, that, is a, that is a legal action. Um, and, and what so, you wanted to say is, will this, will counter, this counter that? Yes. Uh, or is that a blue card? Or something like that. Be more specific, because they are going to answer your question as narrowly and accurately as they reasonably can, right? Not because they're trying to trick you, but because they are forbidden from giving you advice. And uh, it is very easy uh, to go over the line between telling someone how the rules work and explaining to them how they should play based on that rule. Uh, the most common way that this comes up, in my experience, uh, is with the card Spellskite. It says, one Phyrexian blue, uh, change the target of target speller ability to Spellskite. Um that can target any spell or ability, uh, but it might not do anything. So, for instance, if you have a card, the most complicated version of this is Electrolyze. If Electrolyze uh, is targeting a 1-1 and Spellskite, and you activate Spellskite's ability and target Electrolyze, you may do that. You may pay two life and target Electrolyze with, with Spellskite's ability. It won't do anything. Mm -hmm. Spellskite is already a target of Electrolyze, so its ability will resolve without anything happening. Uh, it's also the case if, for instance, I know that nobody would ever cast this spell, but someone is casting Terror, which is one in a black destroy target, non-black, non-artifact creature, it can't be regenerated. Uh, you can target that with Spellskite's ability. Spellskite is not a valid target of that because it's an artifact, uh, so, it, so it won't do anything. Right. Yeah, the, the, the line is thin between saying you're able to do that and you can do that if you want to and are you sure you want to do that? And that's not what they are going to be doing for you. So, so the correct way to phrase carefully. that is always, the best way is, what will happen if I do this? Great. That is a great way to do it. So remember that, everybody. Remember to be clear with the judges. Also, be nice to your judges. I, I'm going to have a little confession time here very shortly. Uh, at the first PPTQ that I was in, I... Ooh. Messed up my deck list, and I got a game loss, and I was very upset about this. Partially because I thought they were making me lose the first match that had already completed, so I misunderstood what the ruling was and thought it was extra harsh for some reason, and I didn't know why. Yep. And I did not say anything rude, but I was stewing and salty, and I was salty at the judge. Not No words, like I didn't do anything that was bad and wrong, but I was not polite in my manner and tone. And afterwards, after that match, which I lost, um, and it didn't even matter because we played out the three games, so we had time, and I lost them all. So that didn't even matter. But I went up to the judge, and I apologized, and, and he appreciated that uh, because I, judges put up with a lot of salty people. Try not to be one of them. And if you are, I don't know if it's a GP, they're going to have time to hear your apology, but just be nice to judges. They are doing We'll appreciate you trying, even if we don't have time to hang around and give you moral absolution. Yeah, exactly. uh, we'll, we'll appreciate you trying. Um, yeah. That also brings up one last thing that if if, uh, if, we, if you only have time to know one thing about the rules, please be careful with your deck list. It's yes. the most common way to lose a game of magic based on the rules uh, and not the actual playing of the game is making errors in your deck list. Do not abbreviate cards. Be careful that you are writing the correct name of the card. There are many, many online resources that let you type in the card names and that will check to make sure that that is an actual card mm -hmm. um, because you can run into some very interesting situations. If you write um, in Legacy, this becomes an even bigger problem. So There's a lot of cards legal in Legacy. Because there's a lot of cards, and there's a lot of cards that people forget exists. Uh, I dealt with a modern deck list once where someone was trying to write um, Lava Spike, but they wrote lightning spike, which I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that I'm remembering the names right. I'm actually on Gatherer. Lightning spike is not a card. Okay, something uh, like that. There was They wrote no, some no, that's words. That's, that's correct. They oh, wrote okay. lightning spike, which is not a card. Um, because of that, it was not as bad a problem as if they had written another card that was legal so it's clearly uh, erroneous you knew that this was a mistake and you as a judge could offer warning or penalty but you knew that this needed fixing and you could go fix it if they had written bolt 
or something if, as if an abbreviation. A different word that is a card uh, that's legal in the format, then we would have had a problem because then they could take advantage of it. They could actually be playing that card, even if that card is bad. Um, and so I won't get into all the lines. Like, you don't need to know what the penalty would be unless you're a judge. Um, but it's very important uh, planeswalkers, right? The full planeswalkers name, because yeah. there's more than one Liliana. I know there's only one Liliana that people would probably play, but yep. there's more I than one. So. Yeah, it, it, that's that's a really, really important thing. Write out the full name, write it carefully. Before day one, look at your deck list, actually lay out every card again just to make sure. And yeah, de-sideboard after each match. Keep a copy of your deck list with you to assist in de-sideboarding. Okay, um, are, are you good for that? I, I want to do one more thing, and then one more thing, and then we'll be heading out. Is that all right? That's fine. I'm a little all right. time, but that's all right. Okay. Um, well, I did want to talk about our sponsor for the day. As you know, we are supported by Patreon and our great listeners, but we also have a specific sponsor just for today. Do you hear that distant melody? That is the jam of the Free Jam Regent. He is coming to a town near you, and he is busting out every jam that is fit to play under the sun. From Ishshad to Innistrad, from... Oh, I'm bad at writing words. Kaladesh to Kalidor. He is playing out the tunes for you and all your people to dance to death. Free Jam Regent. Spinning the beats and moving his feet. That's pretty good. Moving on. I, I like, uh, I, I, I always appreciated the, um, was it the, the uh, was it the Ride the Blightning tour of uh, Thraxamundar? Wow. Do you ever see that shirt? No, it's, it's I like haven't. a. Oh, man. Hold for, on. for the record, though, do pull up real quick, because Free Jam Regent, for anybody who doesn't know, is a recently, maybe even today, spoiled card from the new Aether Revolt set. Look at it. It looks like he's a DJ. Look at it. Yeah. Yeah. It looks like he's a DJ. I, I'm sticking with that story. Anyway, uh, moving on. I mean, on, it, I wanted... it's, it's on flavor with uh, Tezzeret, uh, Master of Metal. Ooh, well, we we have already had uh, Chains of Mephistopheles tour and and Journey because it's Journey. Um, I want to move on really quickly and just talk about uh, GP advice that you might have because uh, I've never been to a GP. Some of our listeners haven't. You have. What what kind of things would you advise us? I've got one or two things I want to hit, but you'll probably say them anyway. So okay. what do you have? It's it's too late to do this for this one, but for the next one. Get a hotel as close as possible. Even if it costs you an extra 20 or 30 bucks, it's worth it. Uh, you're going to be carrying around a lot of, carrying around a lot of garbage. Uh, it's heavy. You're going to be tired. And your ability to go – if you can get a if, – if the GP is in a location where you can get a hotel that's literally in the same building and you can just ride an elevator up to your room, you will be a much happier person because you can take breaks whenever you want and you can go and carry less stuff because you can switch it out whenever you want. That's number one. Number two – uh, drink lots of water and bring food with you. You will like, you will need it much more than you think. And everyone will always tell you that. And you'll be like, Oh, okay. Yeah. And you like pack a couple snacks, but they're not things that you really want to eat. And so you don't eat them. Um, it doesn't matter what it is. Like it just needs to be calories. Um, if you're only going to eat junk, eat junk, it's better than nothing. Uh, but water is so important. Like you will be dehydrated. You will be tired. It is a very long day. So for a full day, how many pounds of cheese should I have in my backpack? Uh, six to ten. Okay, all right. Um, but no, actually, uh, like there's little uh string cheese is like a really good thing to bring because it's, it's protein. It'll last a little bit longer than just like sugar. Mm-hmm. Um, but like fresh fruit, if you can handle it, is like if if you can manage to have an apple or whatever, it's really a great thing to have. A uh, trail mix, I like a lot. Nuts are good. Uh, but anyway, yeah, that's the biggest thing is something that's portable and it won't make a mess. Um, so there's that, uh, in line with not tiring yourself out. Um, don't play more magic than you need to. Uh, you just talked about how like you played out three games cause you had the time or whatever. Don't do that. Uh, some people may think you're rude. Um, but it's really easy in round one or round two to be like, Oh yeah, I'll just like jam a few more games for funsies in between rounds or no rest. If you finish before the time is called, just like walk around or just sit there and like think about something else or relax. Or you can even read your sideboard card if, guide if you want or like talk to your friends or tweet 
whatever you want to do, just don't play more Magic. Because by the end of the day, you're going to be really tired of playing Magic. I know some people who will, like, play a game or two before round one if they're up that early to warm them up. And that sounds like something that would work for some people. That's fine. even then, you are going to – sometimes you're going straight from one match into the next with no time between sometimes. And you need to take advantage of the time that you have. One thing you just said that I wanted to make sure everybody knew because I did not know this for the first couple times that I went places. Uh, You can have a sideboard guide. You can print off and bring with you, and you should for all the matchups you're expecting. Here's what cards come in and which cards come out. saves so much time and so much headache. And uh, uh, I know that if I don't have that, I just lose track of time and I'm wasting time and I'm not sideboarding correctly. So only look at it during sideboarding. Please put it away before you present your deck. Please do not bring yes. it out during a game. Yep. You, there are rules about notes. That's what they are. All right. Well, uh, unless there's anything else, I think we're going to wrap it up. Is that a good on your end? Oh, there's so many more things that I could say, but uh, I do need to get paid at my job yep. that I'm currently sitting at. So. And I, and I am once again in my car, so my computer's going to die in about three seconds. So I you said your Twitter. I will link to you below and to your show, which is a great podcast. Thank you so much for being on the show. I appreciate it. Thanks, Jamie. Talk to you later. All right. Talk to you later. And remember, everybody, until next time, preparation is the best legacy weapon. Thanks. Sorry, you're going to have to edit that. I got my mail. That's Um, okay. You're very important. Oh, so important.